We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I say this every year. People want me to make predictions. How many games do you make the playoffs? We're here to win games. We're here to make the playoffs. We're here to win a title. And so the expectation is that we bring a playoff-type performance to the floor every single night. If we do that, we'll be fine. If we make the playoffs and we lose in the first round, no one's satisfied. If we make the playoffs and we lose in the Western Conference Finals, no one's satisfied. If you make the playoffs and you lose in the finals, no one's satisfied. So we don't come here to to play games. We don't come here to, you know, just step on the court and complete season. Like, we want the playoffs. And so until we win a title, that's what we'll be chasing, and we'll never be satisfied. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast bonus episode this week. There's so much going on in the news with the team that we decided to come back for an extra episode this week. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how's it going? Who'd have thought we'd be here, man? Two episodes in a week. Look at all this. Look at all this. I'm Paul Rudd right now. Look at all this bonus content we're we're delivering to you guys. It's just because we've, we've been... In this space for so long where it's like, especially like from the March through 
I don't know, July months, like earlier this year, where we were struggling to come up with content week to week. And now there's so much news that, um, yeah, we need two episodes in a week. I'm good, by the way, and ready to talk good. about uh, some of the cool stuff that happened over the past 48 hours. The suns uh, get deeper and deeper. Yeah, a uh, masterful job, I think, so far by James Jones. Uh, coming up later in this episode, we're interviewing Connor Newcomb, somebody who's going to come on and tell us a lot about Jalen Smith, so make sure to stick around for that. Uh, before we get to that, we're going to cover some of the news that happened uh, since our last episode, and it was quite a bit. This, I'll be honest, the first thing I want to talk about here already feels like it was a month ago, and it was Dario Saric re-signing with the Phoenix Suns for three years and $27 million. Uh there was a chance that this could have been extended out a little further. The thing about this offseason is there's not a lot further you can extend it out. Things are moving very quickly. Training camp starts in a week, essentially, for uh, the entire NBA. Five days. But, but yeah, Dario re-signed on a pretty good deal. I, I look at it as, you know, not a bad deal. I mean, this is a, a guy that's going to be in his prime uh, for this deal, pretty happy with it. What did you think when you saw the news? Yeah, I think it's a super fair deal. I think, uh, look, we've generally gone with the philosophy of don't rely too heavily on the bubble. I do think it's true, though, that Suns fans feel pretty much unanimously great about this deal from what I can tell. I'm not sure that would have been the case uh, had the bubble not happened, had we not seen Bubble Dario in his sixth man role that I think we all expect him to be playing now going forward. Um but yeah, I'm I'm all with it. I think it's a very fair deal for both sides. I was happy to see both him and um, Javon Carter. We already covered Javon Carter on the last episode, but just both of them rewarded uh, for their good play with three-year deals, both of them. Yeah, when the Chris Paul trade was first announced and they said that the, the Suns were going to operate as an over-the-cap team, what that essentially meant for people like us who are super nerdy about this is that they had the opportunity to retain all of the free agents that they had. My brain first went to Javon Carter. Like, literally, my first thought was, oh, good, we can keep Javon Carter, which was actually kind of funny. But the second guy really on that list is Dario Saric. And this is not to throw any shade about Aaron Baines, who did sign with Toronto, and I'm very excited to watch him with that team. But Saric is about to enter his prime. This is a guy who still could continually improve. And I think the Suns found an interesting role for him, as we've talked about on this podcast, in the bubble. I think it's interesting to think about his role now, specifically with the way that the team is currently constructed. Mm -hmm. He has to be a center, basically, because Damian Jones, for all that he is, we, that Woj bomb happened in the last episode, it's 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 fine. Like He's not going to play a lot of minutes, hopefully. And then you look at Jalen Smith, who we're going to talk about at the end of this episode. Maybe a center, maybe a power forward. Seems like we're sort of leaning towards center, but I think I, I'm still open to the idea of him growing and maybe being more of a power forward going forward. And, and you know, I, I've been trying to c consider those two guys playing together, and it's kind of an interesting thought for me. I'm excited to see Saric full-time center, right? Doesn't it feel like he's basically going to be a full-time center for this team now? I don't know. I mean, there's so many kind of combinations uh, is the problem. Like, we, we don't know. We're assuming Jay Crowder is going to start a power forward. Uh, we don't actually know that. We have no guarantees for Monty at this point. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends. Like, I could, I could see Cam Johnson getting minutes at small forward even, and then kind of maybe some minutes open up a power forward yeah. for Dario to play there as well. Um, so it, it and then really Jalen at center is that is that how you're working that out? Yeah, I, I, it's just it's difficult. Like, do we think 
with the way the roster is constructed right now, like is Jalen Smith even uh you could easily go ten deep with this team and not lose yeah. anything. Like you could have yeah. a solid second unit. It's a good thing that I'm saying right now. It just makes it, it, But you're you are saying that Jalen would be good right away in order for that to happen though, right? Yeah, well I I I'll put it this way. I think Jalen Smith could be a perfectly NBA ready player on day one of his rookie season and still not get any playing time for a while until an okay. injury opens things up. Yeah. Yeah, I look at Jalen Smith and I'm sort of thinking, is this guy going to be like an eight, nine minute a game guy for a while mm-hmm. to yeah. start the season? And I would want that because I kind of like the idea of Cameron Johnson. If Cameron Johnson comes off the bench, Cameron Johnson and Saric at the four and the five, and maybe a little spot minutes with Jalen Smith where Saric and Smith are sort of trading off between the center and power forward position, depending on the defensive matchups. And then Cameron moving up a little bit, but I think the flexibility of them at the four and the five is actually really interesting. A lot of it, I think, is going to depend on matchups early, which is a nice thing for, uh, you know, Monty Williams spent an entire season basically grasping for air, gasping for air with the bench, (laughs) trying to figure out who to play in a lot of these scenarios, and now he'll have some options depending on matchups. I think so much of that will depend on how Jalen Smith looks coming out of the gates uh, which will be interesting. But, I mean, Saric, if he can improve in a way that gets him a little bit closer to those bubble numbers, mm-hmm. that makes him a legitimate sixth-man candidate. Yeah. And if we and if we have him and Cameron Johnson coming off the bench, that's that's not the worst, like, forward slash center one-two punch. Still got to figure out that guard a little bit, but there's, there's exactly. more to talk about on that. Well, and that's what I wanted to to shift towards. I mean, I, I definitely think this is a very deep team that's positioned for success in most ways, but it does feel like there's a lot of weight on Dario's shoulders now. Um, because going into this offseason, I was, I was still holding out hope. Not that I dislike campaign, but just he's inconsistent. Um, or, or just hasn't proven consistency. An eight-game bubble sample doesn't doesn't show you that. Um, so I was hoping for a stronger third guard. And, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. But, you know, I, I, I was still kind of holding out hope that whether it was DJ Augustine or George Hill or Luke Kennard or, you know, through any way of getting him that that player is coming. And now that he's not coming, well, we need to see Dario kind of consistently play the facilitating role that he did in the bubble. Um, and so, you know, him being able to rebound and box out and defend as a center, all of that stuff is important. But also, yeah, he could... I mean, I don't think he's going to be treated as a traditional sixth man who gets, like, close to 30 minutes a game. I right. think he's probably, with with as much depth as there is to this roster, right. I think he's probably been the 20 to 24 range. Um, but he's kind of the... I mean, he's the best player in that second unit. He's still better than Cam Johnson because he's more well-rounded. He's he's certainly more consistent than campaign. Although if campaign plays as well as he did in the bubble, you know, for an entire 72-game season, he definitely does have an argument. Um, but Dario, yep. he's that guy who can shoot, sort of, and facilitate, sort of, and dribble a little bit. Um, and it's going to kind of be on him to sometimes mm-hmm. take the weight off of Chris Paul and Devin Booker and be able to like go out there and lead a lineup. And that's a big thing to ask him to do. He's certainly worth the $9 million, but but it is a big ask to to kind of be like, okay, you're the guy in this lineup. Lead the offense. Yeah, it's it's a little tough for me to picture him next to Jalen Smith right now because of the advantage that what you called sort of dribbling and sort of driving and sort of shooting, the advantage that is at center compared to power forward is a lot higher. 
but I'm excited to have him and it'll be fun to have him back. And I think the role with him playing the facilitator, it's what he wants. I don't think it's any coincidence that he started to play better once he was given more freedom there. That is what I think he feels like he's good at. Uh, so just getting that buy-in, I think, will make a big difference. On our last episode, Sam, we talked about filling a a guard spot and the guys that were left. You mentioned a guy named Etwan Moore, and then immediately after the podcast, Etwan Moore was signed to the Suns, which I think is an excellent, excellent fit at a veterans minimum deal. Somebody that I didn't didn't even expect to be available at that amount. I expected something like around five million for him, something more closer to the BAE. Yeah, and it's it's I'm pretty in, happy with this. It's incontrovertible proof that I have sources. So <laughs> yeah, don't cross true. me. Um, yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, it's a good move. He's. You know, I think he was closer to the BAE. Like you said, I didn't think they were going to scoop him up for the veterans minimum. I mean, if you if you really look back, this year was Etwan Moore that great? No. But two years ago, this isn't that long ago, two years ago, he started, he was like a full-time, regular, everyday starter for the Pelicans, yeah. who like shot the lights out. You know, yeah. you know, like he was the type of guy who was in the top 10 in the NBA in three-point percentage. He dipped a little bit this year. But two years ago, he was that guy. Um, and me- most of those skills are still there. You know, shooting doesn't really rapidly decline as you age. Um, I-, I tweeted out, We'll get to this other guy in in a second, but both of the guys that the Suns added uh, for the veteran minimum, one of whom is more, were 90th percentile spot-up shooters last year. And believe it or not, I looked it up. The Suns did not have another guy on the roster or uh, do not have another guy who's on the current roster um, who ranked above the 75th percentile in spot-up efficiency, which surprised me a little bit. I thought a guy like Javon Carter, who shot 40%, might be there, but he uh, he actually wasn't. He was closer to 75. Well, now they mm-hmm. went out, and for the combined price of like $3.5 million, they added two guys who were close to 40% three-point shooters. Really just, impressive. Just a really, really solid move. I think what's what you want when you get a veteran minimum player is a player who's not too old that still has something to prove. And Etuan Moore is that, and so is Langston Galloway, the other guy that the Suns signed. These are essentially perfect, perfect guys to have on vet minimum deals. Because, look, they're not so old that they're going to fall apart defensively. Neither of them are great defenders anyway, but neither of them are terrible defenders either. Well, they're, I, they're serviceable defenders, especially off the bench. Yeah, I think it's interesting because they, they definitely fit the James Jones mold. Like, neither of them are incredibly sound defenders, but I think Moore has a six seven, six eight wingspan, and Galloway's six nine. Like these are two point guard shooting yeah. guards. Um, yeah, very exactly. long, very long players. So just by virtue of their length, they're gonna play the passing lanes a little bit. They're gonna break up some plays, just like we we keep repeating ourselves about so many players on this team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're. I mean, they're not like they're both a little bit scrappy, but they're not like locked down. Ultimately, there's a reason they both went for the veteran minimum. Um, they're not yes. locked down defenders. <laughs> When we talked about the team, we talked about who could potentially be running that backup point guard position. I think what James Jones looked at, the problem he was probably looking at, is that there were no legitimate guys that you would trust coming off the bench left in free agency. So what they did instead is they then pivoted to players that could play with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And I think this is what's really important and really impressive specifically about both of these guys. Because both of them are lo- are actually knockdown shooters. 
who can just hit wide open wide open threes and then like secondarily if they have to catch and and attack a closeout if they have to drive to the rim and try and quickly create for somebody on the move they could do that they're not excellent at that otherwise they'd probably be starters or at least making a little bit more money but the idea that you can now attempt to stagger chris paul and devin booker and have knockdown shooters next to both of them when the other guy is off the floor I think is a really impressive thing to do, especially when we're dealing with a team that had literally no cap space at this point. You could only sign veteran minimums deal besides your BAE, which it seems like they're going to save, which we talked about on our last episode. Although they do have one open roster spot. They do have so an open roster know. spot. I just, I personally don't see any guys that are worth it at this point, but um, you know, we'll see what they end up doing with it. But I think to have that positional flexibility and to be, to be able to do that is really impressive. I think, there's probably some Suns fans listening right now that that are are thinking, why didn't that work with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker and staggering those two? Why didn't that solve our backup point guard position last season? Fair question to ask. It's because the offense fell apart pretty pretty big amount when it was just Ricky Rubio leading it because he struggles to score and there was no real backup shooting guard, right? There was two problems there. Yeah, I mean, you just made the whole video about that. Basically, everything that that CP3 does that Ricky just can't do. Yeah, and I think that makes a huge difference. And you put another some shooters next to them, guys who can run out or run around screens. Well, by the way, and and that's very critical. Let me tease ahead, working on a video right now. So I've been watching film of both of those guys. Not just standstill shooters. I want to make it clear. Like, they do run around screens, both of them. Yeah, um, yeah. They're really important. Like, both of them. The, you're talking about guys where you're going into the season with the belief that this is your ninth, 10th, 11th man. Like, not guys yeah. that you have to rely on consistently. Yeah. But even to, even at that position, to have guys who can run off screens, um, not just standstill shooters from the corner, it's, it's really cool. Has Chris Paul ever played with guys who run off screens, Sam? Um, I think uh, once before. Maybe the best Maybe ever. Maybe the best ever. Yeah, the <laughs> guy, white guy with T-Rex arms. Um, yeah. I think he I think he can adjust to that. And both guys can attack the rim. Langston Galloway, can, if, the, if the closeout is just a little off balance, Langston Galloway can get to the rim and throw it down. Nothing impressive like Kelly Oubre, but he'll, he'll get it over the rim. And each one more... Yeah. This guy has touch on some floaters. He's got so a like buttery. He, he's got a buttery floater. He can't dunk to save his life, but he's like six one. So, um, he he's got a floater. He loves using that floater. And yeah, I think it's really impressive to find guys that are like that versatile at that low amount of salary. And look, if you think that it sounds like we're kissing James Jones's ass at this point on this podcast, we are. He did a really good job. <laughs> And look, and and it's all about. Didn't someone? Didn't someone even comment space. that on our? We we posted our oh, podcast. On YouTube? We posted our podcast not to YouTube as a video, but but just we made a post in the community tab for our YouTube channel because it's getting more attention now. There's a lot of people watching our our YouTube channel as of late, and <laughs> yeah, I have to dig up the comment, which of course is not loading, but yeah, basically accusing us of uh, of kissing JJ's ass, and it was like, why wouldn't yeah. we? You know, like we we have not always kissed JJ's ass. I don't think no. we did it last off season at all. But this off season, he's fully deserving of it. Yeah, it's important to contextualize what we're saying here. Each one more in Langston Galloway. If those were the two <laughs> best players that you added in an off season, we wouldn't be kissing his ass. Can I can I he- read the comment? I'm trying to figure out if it's appropriate or not because not because it's a sure. It's not 
profanity. It's not us just, saying it. Well, I know there's people who are represented by this comment as well who will listen to this podcast. So, so is everyone just kissing JJ's butt now to try and get AZ sports deals like the solar panel? <laughs> Which, <laughs> that's, first of all, lovely guys over there. They're doing great work. I especially love Saul, their new edition. But, uh, but no, I think both of us, both podcasts here, can say we're on the same page about this is a legitimately good offseason. Let's treat it as such for the first time in 10 years. Right. And also they would never hire me after the things I've said about Robert Sarver. So I, I think we could go ahead and uh, scratch that off of our list of future employers. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, yes, these guys wouldn't be the best additions if they were the best players adding uh, added to your team in an offseason. If we're talking about adding these guys at vet minimum deals, once you've made a team where they make a lot of sense then you got to praise it. It's just really, really, really good signings at really great deals. And I think both guys will have moments this season where they essentially win a game for you by hitting five threes in a game when they didn't, you know, when you really need it. And if you can get vet minimum guys that are capable of doing that, you did a good job. Yeah, I mean, I think we basically just signed two Troy Daniels, but like with a 6'9 wingspan instead of 6'4". Capable um, on defense. So like, not good, so but capable. not good. Yes, exactly. Not good, but doesn't like actively lose you a game on defense. And to Troy's credit, he played on some really bad Suns teams, but even he had games where it was like, whoa, Troy Daniels has six threes. And there are going to be games yeah. like that this season for Langston Galloway and Utah Moore. Yeah, absolutely. There definitely will. Um, you guys know what I do. I've said it on the podcast before. When we get new players on our team, I reach out to people who have covered them in the past because nobody knows more about players than people who watch every single game of them. So I reached out to two people that covered both of them. Shemit, our friend uh, from In the Know, the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. I asked him about Etwan Moore. I said, does he suck now or no? And uh, he said, he's fine. He hits shots. He doesn't fuck up. He's a solid bench guy. Uh, don't give him more than 25 minutes in a game, but he can start in a pinch. That's exactly what you want. Another guy I reached out to Duncan Smith, who covers the Detroit Pistons about Langston Galloway. And I just asked him, Hey, Langston Galloway at a vet minimum deal. It seems like a steal to me. What do you think? And he said, that is absolutely a steal. I mean, so we think it on our end, but here's the thing. We don't watch a lot of those guys. We're just looking at stats and we're looking at some film. I asked the guys who watched a lot of them. They seem to think that these are great deals too. That makes me pretty confident in them. Absolute. Uh, great week for Suns fans. Un third great week in a row, I think. <laughs> Very excited about this roster. There's obviously still a little bit of... There's a lot of pressure on Cameron Payne, assuming they don't stagger minutes with uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker right away. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I don't hate that anyway because there's offense from other places in the bench that there weren't before. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Do you have any other thoughts on those two guys, Sam? Uh, no, not really. I think just, uh, first of all, that was a great insight from you, just reaching out to those guys. Um, I think they're just going to be competent. I think it's going to be a yeah. sight to behold. Again, like these are not, <laughs> yeah, you know. Competent is exciting now. Like I don't even know. It I is. don't even know what the second unit is. I guess he, here's, the, here's the last place I'll take this before we head to break. Who's the eighth or not? Like who's the backup shooting guard? Does Javon Carter automatically get those minutes based on the bubble performance? Or I think you have an argument for actually Langston Galloway plays over Javon Carter. Yeah. Or each yeah. one more does. Like any any of them could. You know, someone's yeah. someone's going to end up on the bench not playing. Mm. Hopefully they don't yeah. get upset about it. Um, hey. But it's going to happen. Look, if they're 
fighting it out for minutes, that's only good. I mean, no, and, 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 and I'm not accusing anyone of anything. Like Javon, especially, is the type of guy who has the perfect attitude where if Langston Galloway starts the season in the backup shooting guard spot, Javon is going to work his ass off to earn those minutes back. So it can, it can only be a good thing. If you have the right mm-hmm. guys, you know, if you have Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe, you know, Absolutely. like it depends on your personalities. Right. But uh, I, think I think that, yeah, yeah I think that's the point right. I was trying to make about uh, the, the stage of their career that they're at. Uh, you know, each guy is like 30 ish and they still have they still feel like they have more left in the tank. And at this point of their career on a vet minimum deal, they're, you know, they're one foot in the grave kind of <laughs> as far as their NBA career. And that means that they have to work really hard to prove that they still belong in the NBA. And that's ideal for these types of deals that you're giving out. And, and you know, I look forward to seeing that. And, and the truth is not a fun thing to talk about when you're excited. If you have lots of depth at a position and the players are good, that gives you flexibility to make trades in the middle of the season as well, which is not the worst thing to do. Yes, they don't make a ton of money, but if you can fill a need elsewhere... By trading one of those guys, you never know what's going to pop up in the middle of the season. Maybe someone sustains an injury. You need to find a a solution in a pinch, and that involves a trade. Yeah, exactly. So depth at positions help with that. So excellent job by James Jones. Very excited about the additions. I think that this team could be really fun and really interesting. Moving forward, we'll talk a little bit more about what it can potentially look like or how we want it to look going forward. We'll be back. Uh, sometime this weekend we'll record something have a great thanksgiving we're going to switch over to connor newcomb this episode will end uh, with our interview with him get excited about jalen smith i think this will be a really fun team 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical indeed is here to help Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through December 31st terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget... 
to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BETONLINE, your online sportsbook experts. That's four rejections for Sticks. On the other end. Oh, how do you do? Those were Smith's first points in 21 minutes of playing time. Ayala, numbers, Sticks! All right, very excited to have an expert on Jalen Smith joining us, Connor Newcomb, who is a host of the Locked on Orioles podcast, but also went to college at Maryland while Jalen Smith went there. And you guys have may, may have seen a viral, a semi-viral tweet that went around as far as Sun's Twitter about uh, excellent sequence of Jalen Smith plays. That was Connor's. Connor, I appreciate you joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, first of all. And uh, yeah, I was happy that that tweet made its way uh, to Phoenix <laughs> Suns Twitter because um, that was definitely. I mean, Jalen had you know plenty of great games, especially in his sophomore season. But um, that sequence against Rutgers pretty much summed up everything uh, that he is and and can be on the court. Yeah, it was a fascinating thing. It was the type of thing I think, like sometimes you you draft a player, and I think. Jalen Smith wasn't really on a lot of Suns fans' radars, I'll be honest. We had guys like uh, Devin Vassell, Tyrese Halliburton, who are on the board. We expected them to be drafted. So when you all of a sudden have a guy that maybe wasn't really on your radar, it's easy to look up highlights. But something about a clip like that, which you posted, I think gave Suns fans a better idea of what it was like to actually cheer for him because it was a sequence of events. You know, it was an uncut clip of basketball and I, I really appreciated it and it was really fun to watch. Uh, for you, you obviously you're a fan of Maryland and you saw Jalen Smith play. Uh, just what, what's your impression of Jalen Smith? Just sort of as a, like a thousand miles up looking down on Jalen Smith. How, how would you describe him? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, he, he was one of the guys who lived up to the hype. Um, he was one of the better recruits Maryland has gotten um, in the past, you know, ten years, and, and really of all time. Um, and is from Baltimore, stayed at home. Um, and there was always, you know, a lot of expectations. And I think he was one of those guys who, you know, was a, a top thirty recruit and and lived up to it. And obviously, you know, gets picked in the top ten of the draft. But you watch him, and you know, you put that that stretch four kind of marker on him. I think when you watch him play. Um, but he's more of, of kind of a stretch five at times. Hmm. <laughs> um, and he, you know, is a, is a super hard worker. I mean, if you just look at his body from his freshman year to his sophomore year, I mean, the amount of weight he put on, um, the amount of muscle he gained because he knew, you know, they called him sticks, uh, because yeah. he was six ten and, uh, very skinny. And he knew that to get to the NBA, he would have to put on a lot of weight, um, and put on a lot of muscle. And, and he did that. Um, and, and just as you said, you know, watching from above, you know, you see a high motor guy, a hardworking player um, who isn't, you know, uncomfortable with the ball in his hands or without the ball in his hands when he is anywhere on the court. And I think 
that's more and more important right. um, in the NBA now. And, and that's kind of the first thing you notice with him. Connor, I think you got right to the core of the debate there when you talked about uh, is he a stretch four? Is he is he more of a stretch five uh, with what Suns fans are thinking here? I don't know how much you follow Suns basketball, but um, presumably, you know, DeAndre Ayton was taken number one overall a couple years ago um, and is kind of important to the future of this franchise. So perhaps reasonably, a, a decent amount of Suns fans were perplexed on draft night when they looked up highlights of this guy. Um, saw obviously a, a very high level finisher, a guy who can shoot the ball. We'll talk more about that and also protect the rim. All of these traits that you want from from an NBA center these days. Um, but the question that a lot of us have on our minds is, well, can he play the four? Um, what do you think of that? Is this a guy where you think he has maybe a higher ceiling at the NBA level where he can survive on the perimeter a little bit and, and play long stretches at the four? next to a player perhaps like DeAndre Ayton or do you think he is putting on all this weight because he wants to play mostly the five uh, at the NBA level I think uh, you know a lot of the weight was just because of how skinny he really was Um, they they said he went from 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 sticks to logs um, between (laughs) his his freshman and sophomore year but you know the big thing with that is his his sophomore season um, you know, last year, he really did play the five most of the time he was out there. Now, Maryland had a lot of good guards, so they would go small and, you know, they had a shooter at the five, which you don't see as much in college as you see in the NBA. Um, and it really worked out for Maryland this year, you know, they were in the top 10 and the top 25 the entire season. Uh, but Jalen, his freshman year also was a starter the whole year. And he played next to Bruno Fernando, uh, who is now a, a center with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, just finished up what was his rookie season in Atlanta. And Bruno is a guy who's a much more prototypical center. Um, and he was a guy who, when he was playing with Jalen Smith, uh, was looking to be a first-round draft pick and you know ended up getting picked uh, by the Suns last year in the draft. And Jalen and Bruno spent a lot of time on the court together. And Jalen Smith was pretty comfortable playing that stretch four position while Fernando was in there. Uh, getting most of his buckets around the rim in the paint, you know, kind of a somewhat of a throwback big man with the post moves, the drop steps, um, didn't take a whole lot of jump shots. So Jalen Smith was forced out to the perimeter, I think more than he wanted to, but I think it, it prepared him that freshman year playing next to Fernando, where I think he can slot in uh, next to Aiton because, you know, I know he's not mm. going to take minutes away from, you know, the Suns' number one overall pick. Uh, but but I think that year playing next to Bruno Fernando, obviously they're different caliber of centers, uh, but still you know a couple of of NBA guys, and I think that's going to really prep him to to still play that number four position. Now, what I want to talk about too is the offensively. I think he's a fascinating player. Um, the ability to shoot. I thought was what was really interesting, and and he it's this is new for Sam and I for the record. Just learning about Jalen Smith. We we don't really follow college basketball more of uh, NBA guys. Um, I found it fascinating that he's able to shoot, uh, able to shoot off movement, which I thought was really great. But I think something that's interesting is is defensively, he averaged a lot of block shots, two point four blocks per game, pretty impressive, and. It seems like a lot of that was sort of like help defense a lot of times. But when you look at his defense, do you consider him someone who could be like a mobile defender? Because what I worried about when I watched him, and I hate to focus on the bad things because there's so many good things here, but 
What I worried about a little bit is like what I call hip mobility. So an ability to sort of follow guys who are trying to beat him to the rim and just sort of turn fast enough. It's like a lateral quickness thing. Uh, when you watch him, is that something that you think can translate? Is that something he got better at from year one to year two, for example? And, and how good do you think he can be in the NBA with that kind of movement? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it definitely helped, um, you know, another thing in his freshman year, you know, having to play that four um, with a guy like Fernando next to him who wasn't as mobile and really had to cover the big guys. You know, Jalen Smith was was really covering some, some small forward types um, a lot his freshman year. And it was uh, a struggle sometimes. And I think his biggest weakness heading into the NBA, at least on the defensive side, is covering the perimeter. He's a really good shot blocker. As you said, a lot of those blocks come from help defense. But a good amount of them came against really bigger, you know, Big Ten basketball centers, throwback guys who would see Jalen, see him, you know, being 6'10", you know, 215 or whatever he was at this time last year and try to back him in, and Jalen is a smart shot blocker and, you know, could still block those guys' shots. Uh, but but as far as, you know, trailing guys in the NBA and and having to move out and play some against some fours who are, you know, going to spread it on the perimeter and, and move around, I think that's still probably his biggest weakness, and I think you're right to, to be a little concerned on that. I think that's got to be the number one thing um, he's got to work on because he's a great shot blocker. You know, it's not just a he's taller than the guys coming at him. Right. He's a very smart shot blocker as well, um, and he made a lot of key blocks for Maryland last year. Um, but can uh, you know even you know deflect shots, um, affect shots at the rim without getting his hands on it? But I think the biggest thing he has to work on um, is what you're talking about. You know, defending guys away from the rim, um, you know, staying on guys' hips uh, and and following guys around the court. Which obviously, when he's out there with Aiton um, and he's not at the five, he's going to have to do a lot more of that. Something that I think you can really help us out with, we've been talking about his on-court stuff up until now, and, and obviously that's very important. Maybe to contextualize this question a little bit, the Suns have had a lot of bad character guys uh, in, over the past half decade to even a full decade. And um, this current era of, of uh, leadership with James Jones at the top as, as general manager seems to be all about bringing in high culture guys who aren't going to cause a lot of trouble. Part of that is bringing in uh, an increasing number of veterans, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, we saw just in the past week. Um, but it starts at the bottom floor too with with their rookies. Um, as someone who was around Jalen Smith in his rookie season, you covered him as a member of uh, the radio station there at the University of Maryland. What can you tell us about his character and, and just kind of what sort of person he is? Yeah, you know, Jalen came in his freshman year knowing obviously that he was the top recruit in the recruiting class he was the number one player in Maryland. He stayed home. There was a lot of expectations on him. Uh, but he also knew it, it was not his team uh, his freshman year. You know, I, I mentioned Bruno Fernando uh, you know, was, was probably the best player um, on that team, having been drafted by the Hawks. Um, a guy like Anthony Cowan, who was a, a senior this year and uh, did not get drafted, but uh, I'm assuming at some point is going to latch on here um, with an undrafted free agent contract. Uh, Jalen came in knowing he wasn't going to be the guy um, but he just kind of fell into a perfect, really number three option role um, his freshman year. And then when it was, you know, realized when he was a sophomore that that he was the guy on that team this year, um, he he took somewhat of a leadership role. But he's really a a laid back guy, kind of a a, a funny guy, you know, a, a little bit dorky, um, you know. And it's not just because you'll see him on the court with the goggles. That's just kind of 
uh, his <laughs> personality a little bit as well. Um, but he's very laid back. He he's very easy to get along with. It seems uh, he was, you know, very good with the media. Um, you know, n- never standoffish. Never, uh, you know, trying to be quiet. He he was always willing to talk um, and, and break down his game and and you know give his uh, give his thoughts on the team as well. Um, but but definitely going to be a high character guy. I think he fits in with that. Um, and and you know you mentioned bringing in in Chris Paul. You know he's going to be a guy who you know although they're playing completely different positions he is going to know that Chris Paul is going to make him better and he's going to be a guy who's going to come in and and listen to Chris Paul um and listen to you know even a guy like Aiton who's playing a similar position and and want to learn from them immediately you know something that stood out to Sam and I when we were just sort of looking through his stats uh was sort of an assist to turnover ratio that he has so in his last year at Maryland, uh, 0.8 assists to 1.7 turnovers. Now that stands out a little bit. And admittedly, he's a big man, right? That doesn't mean he necessarily needs to be creating a lot of shots for others. And playing on a team with Devin Booker and Chris Paul likely means that he's not going to have to create a lot of shots for others. Uh, But what do you think goes into that sort of high amount of turnovers to, to that assist? I know it did look like sometimes in crowds, he panicked a little bit maybe with the ball. Uh, from what I've seen, uh, what what do you think goes into that? Yeah, so I think on the offensive end, um, the part of his game that needs the most work, honestly, is his distribution as a big man. Um, and and he, you know, got the ball in the post a good amount, you know, especially when he was playing the five and and not hanging around the perimeter as much at times last year. Um, and as you said, you know, double teams would come uh, to Jalen last year, and sometimes it would fluster him just a little bit. Um, and that's definitely the part of his offensive game that I feel like he's got to work on the most. Um, and that's where those turnovers come from. And, and it obviously contributes to the, you know, less than, than one assist per game. Um, because you know, he wasn't giving himself a lot of opportunities to feel that double team, stay calm and find the open shooter. Uh, the, the flip side of that though, at least on the assist side is that, you know, despite Jalen Smith being the best player on the team, Maryland had a ball dominant point guard um, and Anthony Cowan and a lot of Maryland's offense was run pick and pop pick and roll between Cowan and Smith. Uh, so when Jalen got the ball, he was expected to score um, a lot of the time. And so that will, will do it to the assist numbers. Uh, but the turnovers, you know, is something you mentioned, you know, he was doubled a lot last year um, because teams knew that he was not the guy Maryland wanted uh, to be their distributor and, and get it out to the shooters when he got it, a lot of times when he would get doubled, it would be more of a, you know, float the ball back to the point guard out top um, and have to try and reset the offense. And that's where Maryland got into trouble sometimes last season. So it's definitely something he needs to work on. Um, and I think he can get that turnover number down um, and especially the assist number up um, if he works on, you know, kind of settling himself a bit uh, when he right. is doubled. But, you know, the other thing is he's not going to be doubled uh, nearly as much in the post. Uh, with the guys that'll be around him in the NBA um, as he was, you know, being the the top option on a college team. Right. Sort of, again, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's low assist numbers. It's not really something you mind from a center, but if he shifts over to that power forward position as playing next to DeAndre Ayton more than a decent amount, you, you kind of want to start to see uh, some of that decision-making. Um, but again, we'll see. I mean, you're, you're telling us that he's a, a teachable young man. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's something he could work on. Um, if you had to give us a, a reasonable 
expectation for what you think Jalen Smith can do in year one just as a rookie? Uh, what would you be willing to bet? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you should expect him to, you know, be a starter for this team year one. We'll, we'll obviously see um, what they do. You know, he, he he could fall into that spot, at least from from what that roster looks like. Um, but I'd expect him to come off the bench and, and be a guy who is going to block some shots. He is going to try to get out and run. Um, and the big thing he's going to do, I mean, you, you look at what he did from his freshman year to his sophomore year. I mean, the biggest improvement you can see with your eyes is the body and how he changed his body, not just for himself, but for his his team, for his NBA future. And it worked out uh, with him becoming the number 10 pick. But I think the big reason why he became the number 10 pick, he was a 27% three-point shooter his freshman year. He went to 37% his sophomore year. He was Maryland's right. best three-point shooter as a sophomore, really playing the five most of the year. And that wasn't, you know, a guy who was taking one per game. He was taking three per game. Um, and he was knocking threes down um, at an insane clip, especially in conference play. I believe he was uh, over 40% from three. So you're going to get a guy who will probably come off the bench, you know, I would think early in the season. And, and I'm hoping he can earn himself a starting spot at some point. Um, but he's going to be a guy who is going to thrive in the pick and roll and the pick and pop game. And I think when he's on the court, especially with Chris Paul, with the options that the Suns are going to have, and you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of times with Paul and Booker on the floor, uh, Jalen Smith's going to find himself open, I think, on the mm -hmm. perimeter. And if he shoots like he did last year, I think he becomes a really, really good you know, sixth or seventh guy who can knock down the three, He's going to hit his free throws. He's going to rebound. He's going to block some shots. And he's going to develop into a guy who, you know, hopefully is a starter by year two. Yeah, wow. I'll, I'll say it again uh, for Suns fans who haven't had a chance to watch a lot of Jalen Smith film. He's not just a standstill shooter that needs to be absolutely wide open in order to make the shots. He can set the screens. He can come around pin downs. Uh, he can catch him on the move a little bit and take the shot. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not the typical center who looks like he's shooting a thirty-pound basketball. <laughs> it, he he looks more like a guy who can shoot like a shooter. Um, and you know, if he continues to develop that, if he gets even better over time, the combination of rim protection and shooting on the perimeter are such a rare conversation, uh, combination, I should say for big men in the NBA and it's vital. And I think it's going to be more and more vital going forward as the game continues to grow and evolve. I have a tough, a real tough question for you, Connor. Was it fun to root for Jalen Smith? Did you have a good time? Cheer, Cause this is a lot of what basketball is. We want to have fun. And this guy gets up and he dunks and he hits some cool shots and makes some great block shots. Did you just enjoy watching him play basketball? I mean, it was, extremely enjoyable to watch him play i mean he was you know one of those where you're hard on your sleeve guys uh the emotion came out um his freshman year um in the ncaa tournament in the second round um, i was actually there uh calling the game for our student radio station uh maryland was was down pretty big against a, a pretty good lsu team that has you know turned into they had three or four nba players now on that team a couple years ago um and, and jalen smith wasn't having a great game as his, you know, his second tournament game as a freshman, he knocks down a game-tying corner three um, with about 30 seconds left to tie the game. And then he missed his assignment on a pick and roll by about a half a step 
which led to LSU's buzzer beater. And he was inconsolable coming off the court um, as, you know, you know, a lot of things happened in that game, but it was his, you know, slight defensive breakdown that ended Maryland's season um, two years ago. And mm. he has said that play itself kind of motivated him um, going into last year. And of course he turned himself, you know, after his freshman year, there was thoughts that he would declare for the NBA draft. You know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, okay, if an NBA team can get him and, you know, send him to the G League, get his body right, you know, he'll be a second round pick and they can turn him into something. And there was a lot of talk about him leaving. He decided to stay and it worked out. He turned himself into a lottery pick because he was motivated and he was seemingly motivated by that play against LSU all of his sophomore season. You know, I talked about the three-point shooting got so much better. He was much more aggressive around the rim. He knew how big he was um, and that he could finish in a lot of different ways around the around the rim. Um, he got better in pretty much every facet. Um, and if you want to see, you know, just how fun he was to watch, A, watch the clip uh, that I tweeted out of, of what he did. But B, uh, Maryland played at Indiana uh, January 26th. I know exactly year. the game you're talking uh, about. That was a monster performance. Yeah, 29 points, uh, which was a career high for him. He was four of six from three, six of eight from inside the arc. He made five of seven free throws, wow. 11 rebounds, two assists, uh, two blocks, and a steal. And he made the game-winning basket on a really, really tough catch on a pick and roll where he somehow managed not to travel and make an off-balance bucket to win the game. Um, at Assembly Hall, which is a really tough place to play, he came out of the of the gate firing. Uh, the four made threes was also a career high. I, I think that game's on YouTube. Go back and watch that game. Um, and that is kind of what you want out of Smith at the next level. And obviously he won't get the touches on this Suns team that he was getting on that Maryland team. But if you can get just a sliver of that, um, he he's fun to watch. Sam, you got anything else for Connor? No, I mean that that's Connor. That's just really good insight. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. So, I, I, yeah, you know, it sounds like an exciting guy to root for. Yeah, yeah, he was, I'm excited. He he was fun and and I mean I think the big thing is just you know he still got stuff to work on, uh, but right, y- y- just just the body change that he made. I mean he was yeah. literally like looking like the skeleton man out there, um, his freshman year, and what he looks like now. Um, you know, he's, he's 6'10", 225 now, and he's got muscle. Um, and just how much he improved between that and the fact that he went up 10% on his three-point shot and became one of the best three-point shooters in the Big Ten, um, yeah. you know that, you know, Maryland's got some a, a solid coaching staff and a good strength staff, but now mm-hmm. he's going to be working with NBA coaches and, you know, essentially a coach on the floor and Chris Paul as well. Um, I can't imagine how, how much better he's going to get. Right. And a brand new state-of-the-art fellas facility. Uh, they just built a new practice facility. Were you surprised by the reaction to his draft pick? Because I think a lot of people kind of were killing it. And I think it's an odd thing to kill any draft pick beyond like the first five in this draft because the players are also relatively even. Uh, but were you surprised that people treat... Like, did he go higher than you expected? Yeah, I mean, I coming down to to draft day and you know obviously it's all gotten pushed back so it's been more and more mock drafts and and, and more and more right. speculation um i think the maryland community you know he was a, a lock first rounder um and we felt like right around 20 was probably where he was going to go now the right. thought was if someone was going to reach and take him in the lottery actually the thought was there had been murmurs that the wizards were going to try to keep him at home 
um, and take mm. him at number nine. And when the Wizards passed on him um, and they uh, took the player from Israel, um, I think the thought around, you know, at least the Terps community was, all right, he's probably going to fall out of the lottery, but, you know, hopefully between that 16 and, and 22 slot, he'll get picked somewhere. And it was surprising to, to see him go to Phoenix. And, you know, the Suns have done this twice now with Maryland big men um, because, of course, oh, they God. took Alex Len with the fifth pick. Um, mm. You know, what was that, seven years ago now? And I, so, I'm an Alex Len defender, but that's maybe not the best uh, comparison to win <laughs> our audience over, i be only, honest with you. only comparing it because it was the Suns taking a Maryland big man, right. and it surprised Maryland fans. But I will tell you this. Two completely different basketball players, Alex Len and, and right. Jalen Smith. I love Alex Len. Um, he kind of started Maryland back to being somewhat relevant um, in the last decade, but completely, completely right. different. It's a confidence players. thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> Jalen Smith just looks a lot. Looks like he plays a lot more confidently. And hey, for Suns fans that are worried about that in any way, just remember. I don't know that the Suns gave any draft pick a good chance to succeed back then, just with the way the practice facility was and sort of the way the organization was run back then. I think Jalen Smith is joining the Suns at the best possible time to give him a chance to succeed in the NBA. And I think just for that alone, uh, he's got a great chance to be a good NBA player at some point. And I actually think with his specific skill set, he could be pretty valuable uh, relatively quickly. Definitely looks stronger than people tend to describe him as. Uh, you know, even reading 225, I was like, man, that guy looks bigger than 225. Uh, it'll be interesting to see his actual measurements when the season starts. Connor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, make sure to follow Connor on Twitter. We're going to tag him in our tweet about this. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, no, just thank you guys for having me on. And all I'll plug is, you know, I was excited to see him go to Phoenix. Um, because I felt like it was a team that, you know, might give him a, a little more chance early. But but the biggest thing, just thinking about him being on the court with Chris Paul, um, yeah, just, right. just kind of salivating at, at what he can do even in year one. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Connor. It's my my responsibility, my job to build the team. You know, I'll always show um, consider. I always have consideration or consider the. the the thoughts of my coach um, he's ultimately the one that has to decide who plays and how we play you know your, your best players you, you you lean on them for uh, their experience you know for their perspective because they have to play with these guys it's, it was a tough decision but we knew that we were getting exactly what you've seen over the last two days um, a hall of famer an all-star a leader a winner a guy that lives and breathes basketball 24 7 and that's the type of leader and personality um, that we need you know those are the traits that we want all of our guys to embody um, Chris and Jalen uh, when you put those guys with the current group that we have uh, you increase you know, our, our versatility uh, but more importantly you increase our competitiveness those two guys they bring it you know, people want me to make predictions how many games do you make the playoffs we're here to win games we're here to make the playoffs we're here to win a title and so the expectation is that we bring a playoff type performance to the floor every single night. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.